While global climate negotiations were underway at COP27 in Egypt, back here in Ontario, the Doug Ford government had been very busy doing what would appear to be everything it could to undermine Canada's climate commitments and accelerate the climate crisis. Hello, my name is Art Lightstone, and this is Green Neighbor, a podcast that explores climate change, helps people make sense of the conflicting messages they hear about climate change, and outlines ideas about how we can all take meaningful action to hopefully stave off the worst impacts of global warming. Today I wanted to share a quick but important bulletin I received this past week from the Ontario Clean Air Alliance, otherwise known as the OCAA. They point out that the Ford government has crafted a plan to not only build new gas-fired power plants, but to also ramp up the use of our existing gas-fired plants by more than 600%. And that will mean giving back about half the gains that Ontario made by ending the use of dirty coal to generate electricity. Now, the OCAA would be very sensitive to this fact because they were the organization that initially lobbied and convinced the Ontario government to shut down the province's five coal-fired power plants starting in 2003. It's important to note that Back in 2003, coal-fired power plants represented about 25% of Ontario's energy mix. However, under the Liberal provincial government of the time, coal was phased out of Ontario's energy mix across an 11-year period, starting in 2003 and ending in 2014, when the last of Ontario's coal-fired power plants, the plant in Thunder Bay, was closed. Over the duration of that phase-out, both Ontario's grid reliability and its domestic energy supply improved. To this day, Ontario's elimination of coal-fired power plants remains the single largest greenhouse gas emissions reduction ever witnessed on the North American continent. And it was primarily responsible for Ontario achieving its 2014 emissions reduction target of 6% below 1990 levels. But here we are, in 2022, with an entirely different government, the Doug Ford Conservative government. A government that, upon winning the election back in 2018, immediately cancelled Ontario's cap-and-trade agreement with California and Quebec, a move that, according to Ontario's financial accountability officer, cost Ontario $3 billion. They also cancelled all electric vehicle purchase incentives, cancelled the Workplace Electric Vehicle Charging Incentive Program, allowed Metrolinx to tear out 24 government-owned EV chargers, and they dismantled some of the province's renewable energy infrastructure, and I'm speaking specifically of the White Pines Wind Farm in Prince Edward County, a move that reportedly cost Ontario $231 million in direct costs alone at the time, 
not to mention the opportunity costs of the foregone renewable energy that would have been generated at White Pines. The Ford government is now continuing its attack on Ontario's ability to pursue a sustainable energy future by devising a plan to dramatically increase the province's production of gas-fired energy. Now, some naysayers would be quick to point out that this is all the fault of tree-hugging environmentalists like myself, who drive electric vehicles and call on governments and corporations to get behind the electrification of transportation, thereby increasing the demand for electricity. Now, it is an unavoidable fact that powering transportation, heating, and manufacturing with electricity as opposed to hydrocarbons will invariably increase the demand for electricity. According to the Independent Electricity Systems Operator's 2021 Outlook, Ontario is entering a period of increasing electricity demand. The operator's forecasts show that electricity demand will grow at an average rate of 1.7% per year until 2042. And yes, a significant portion of this increased demand is coming from both political and industrial commitments to electrify transportation, including transit and trucking. However, that's not the whole story. The reason we will be in a shortfall isn't just because of increased demand. You see, while we know demand for electricity is increasing and will continue to increase for many years to come, the Ford government has done nothing to increase Ontario's capacity to produce green energy, even when they knew that our nuclear power facilities were either undergoing refurbishment or were slated to be completely decommissioned. The Ford government still axed renewable energy projects. Moreover, they have refused to talk to Quebec about importing clean hydroelectric power. You can read all about this sequence of events in a wonderful piece entitled, Ontario Could Be Entering an Energy Supply Crisis published by the Narwhal on July 22, 2022. That article goes on to discuss how much increasing Ontario's gas-powered energy output will increase Ontario's emissions. It points out that the independent electricity systems operator projects that emissions from an increasingly gas-powered grid will increase by 375% by 2030 and by more than 600% by 2040. So how did we get here? Up until now, the only steps the Ford government has taken to increase or even maintain Ontario's power supply has been to extend the life of the Pickering nuclear generating station past the time that it was to be decommissioned. They have done this not once, but twice. According to the Narwhal's investigative reporting, people who work in and study Ontario's energy industry say that any further extension of Pickering's operation would be a band-aid solution to long-term planning failures. And it would be a very costly band-aid at that. 
According to a 2020 document filed by Ontario Power Generation at the Ontario Energy Board, the Pickering Station has the second highest operating costs out of North America's 63 nuclear power stations. So as much as the Ford government would like to blame Ontario's increasing electricity costs on green energy, the fact of the matter is that it is our efforts to maintain our aging nuclear power plants that have actually increased the cost of electricity in Ontario. As Mark Winfield, a York University professor in the Faculty of Environmental and Urban Change, was quoted to say, we are in this situation as a result of the province very successfully painting itself into a corner in terms of electricity supply options. In their recent bulletin, the OCAA asks some very interesting questions. They ask, how can this be happening at a time when solar and wind are cheaper than ever? and when we have a whole slew of ways to store power, including our electric vehicles' batteries and Hydro-Quebec's reservoirs. They also ask, how can this be when experts commissioned by our own electricity system planners are telling us we don't need more gas power, that we can meet our needs with a smart combination of distributed renewable power and efficiency programs instead? all while saving Ontarians $290 billion. So let me delve a little deeper into the alternative to more gas plants. On October 7, 2022, Ontario's independent electricity system operator, the IESO, released a report saying that Ontario needs up to 1,500 megawatts of new gas-fired generation capacity to avoid the need for conservation appeals and rotating blackouts. However, just one week prior to that, the IESO released a report entitled Ontario's Distributed Energy Resources Potential Study, prepared by Dunsky Energy and Climate Advisors, a report now known as the Dunsky Report. This is the report that tells us that Ontario doesn't need to increase its gas-fired energy capacity. In fact, I'll read an excerpt from page two of the executive summary. The economic potential results indicate there is ample cost-effective DER capacity to meet or exceed all incremental system needs under all scenarios. The achievable potential results reveal that when factoring in real-world conditions, DERs are able to satisfy a material portion of the province's energy needs, from 1.3 to 4.3 gigawatts of peak summer demand by 2032. So we've been hearing a lot about distributed energy resources, or DERs. So let's unpack that term. On their website, the independent electricity system operator points out that one of the most significant changes to electricity systems around the world has been the emergence of new technologies that can support locally owned facilities for electricity generation, control, and storage. These technologies, as you may have guessed, are often referred to as distributed energy resources, or DERs. 
And as the IESO points out, they are transforming the way communities meet their energy needs. DERs are essentially smaller-scale assets that can either generate power, store energy, or help to distribute or allocate energy. These assets can be privately or publicly owned. They can be something as small and inexpensive as a smart thermostat, or they can be as large as a wind or solar farm, and they can, of course, be something in between, such as rooftop solar. You've probably seen a few homes in your own neighborhood that have solar panels on their roofs. In fact, our home has a 2.66 kilowatt nameplate capacity solar system on our roof. And it has generated 12.5 megawatts of electricity for Newmarket Hydro in under 12 years. So my own house is, in fact, part of Ontario's distributed energy resources. The IESO points out that DERs are becoming increasingly popular among individuals, businesses, and local hydro companies, and that they stand to benefit Ontario in a few different ways, including giving customers control by reducing reliance on the provincial electricity grid, lowering system costs because, by their very nature, DERs tend to be decentralized and located close to the customers they serve, thereby limiting line loss and even reducing or avoiding the need for new or upgraded transmission lines. And finally, providing energy security by connecting local and provincial grids, thereby providing backup power during emergencies. A few examples of DERs that are outlined on the IESO website include smart thermostats, solar photovoltaic systems, battery storage systems, vehicle-to-grid charging stations, gas, wind, and hydroelectric turbines, and cogeneration facilities, which collect the waste heat generated from power generation facilities and then reuses it to heat water or interior spaces. On the energy storage side, DERs can include battery storage, thermal storage, flywheels, compressed air, pumped hydro storage, and hydrogen storage. Basically, any way that one can utilize surplus power generated at one point in time in a way that stores that power as potential energy that can be utilized at a later point in time is a form of energy storage. So, literally pumping water up a hill one day and then letting that water run down the hill through a turbine the next day would be a way of storing power. So what about the economics of DERs versus gas-fired power plants? On the first page of its executive summary, the Dunsky report goes over three scenarios. They are business as usual, business as usual plus, and accelerated. I won't go over these three scenarios in any detail. I'll just point out that the business-as-usual scenario describes keeping our energy grid the way it is now, whereas the accelerated scenario aggressively promotes the creation of a distributed energy grid in Ontario. 
Now, with those scenarios in mind, page 53 of the report points out that under the third scenario, the accelerated scenario, Ontario could achieve $290 billion in net benefits stemming from all cost-effective distributed energy resources. $290 billion in benefits is nothing to sneeze at. So a distributed energy grid is not only possible, clean and reliable, but it would be economical too. To my mind, that's a win-win situation for all stakeholders, except perhaps those corporations and stockholders in those corporations that are sitting on a big pile of oil and gas, hoping to bring their hydrocarbons to market before those ancient assets become utterly worthless. At this point, I think it's worth pointing out that in terms of Canada's overall electricity generation, not capacity, but actual generation, data from 2019 indicates that 60% of Canada's electricity came from hydroelectric power, 17% came from nuclear, 6% came from wind, and only 17% came from emitting sources such as coal and gas-fired power plants. So even the idea of producing energy from hydrocarbons is really a step backwards. As Mark Zacharias, a special advisor with Clean Energy Canada, said in an interview with the Toronto Star, there's no use establishing or standing up new fossil fuel electricity generation because you're not going to be able to use it in 15 years. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to fight the Ford government's plan to ramp up gas-fired electricity generation in Ontario. The United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change is telling us we don't have the luxury of time to address the climate crisis. We need to reduce our carbon emissions by almost 50% by 2030. That's basically seven years from now. The OCAA makes a very good point in their bulletin when they say, we can't wait two decades for non-existent technologies like small modular nuclear reactors, nor can we continue to ignore the huge potential of the technologies that actually do exist today, such as smart controls, vehicle-to-grid systems, heat pumps, and solar panels. I thank the OCAA for raising the alarm about Ontario's plan to bring more gas-fired energy online and the potentially irreparable harm that would be inflicted by such a plan. I've included a plethora of resources and links in the notes of this episode, including a number of ways that you can reach out to the Ford government and voice your opposition to their plan to increase Ontario's gas-fired power production. Well, that will wrap things up for this episode of Green Neighbor. I hope you've learned a few things, 
gained some insights, and I also hope that whether you live in Ontario or not, you will start thinking about ways that you can transition away from hydrocarbons in your own life, and ways that you might be able to encourage your local government to get behind this important transition. For more ideas about how you can act on climate, please visit the Green Neighbour website at www.green-neighbour.com. And I'll point out that neighbour is spelled the Canadian way. If you have any questions, thoughts or ideas, please drop me a line over email or social media. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. I'm Art Lightstone, your Green Neighbour, asking you to take good care.